To listen to this episode and all previous deep dives, buddy dives, and dive master interviews without commercial interruption, please subscribe and listen at Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. Because we've passed the point of them hiding it, because there comes a point, as I said a long, long time ago, there will come a point where if you're going to transform society, it has to be transformed. And at that point, you're not under the radar anymore. You've got to actually be in people's faces. That's where we are now. So instead of hiding it, they're now selling it. This is Monica Perez here with the single most recognizable guest I could possibly have on this show. He is a prolific author and the most enduring pioneer in the pursuit of the deepest truths about the nature of power on earth and in the universe. And we're gonna try to get to the bottom of it all in one hour. So strap on your tanks, we're going deep with the dive master, the great David Icke. Hello, David, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Monica, much appreciated. Well, I am, so people who listen to my show know I'm all, all about like the conspiracy at the top of the food chain on Earth. And I'm always trying to figure out, like, is there any competition at the top? Are Putin and Biden laughing behind the scenes or is that a real thing? And then they all seem to be going to the same point at the top. But I never really transcend that level of thinking. So I got The Trap, your latest book, and it's really challenging how I even view those questions. The subtitle is what it is, how it works, and how we escape its illusions. And I'm wondering if you can just, in a nutshell, give my listeners just a, um, what is the trap? Whoa, it's, um, it's a long story. Uh, <laughs> right. I'll try to do my best. Uh, basically, I, I had this overwhelming feeling in, uh, around the turn of the millennium that this is a simulation. This is like a very advanced virtual reality that we are experiencing. And it's a bit like um, going through your life with a headset on. Uh, it's a field of information that we are decoding, just like a computer decodes Wi-Fi. If you... Um, look at uh, the internet and you said to someone, what is the internet? They'd tell you it was graphics and um, words and pictures and moving pictures on the screen. Well, yes, it is, but only on the screen. Everywhere else, it's a Wi-Fi field, a radiation field of information. Uh, and electronic circuits, whatever. And what the computer does is take that information in its radiation waveform field and it decodes it into what we see on the screen, which is completely different to how it appears in the Wi-Fi field. Other thing about the Wi-Fi field is we can't see it. If you said to someone who knew nothing about computers and nothing about Wi-Fi that in this room now was a field of information that you could tap into and decode onto the screen of the computer in exactly the same way, 
whether you are in Australia, South Africa, South America, North America, Europe, Asia, wherever, and they knew nothing about computers, nothing about Wi-Fi, they'd say, that is ridiculous. That's not possible. You, you, you're, you're a conspiracy, not conspiracy theorist, <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're, you're delusional. Not, yeah. But soon as you realize about computers and Wi-Fi, you say the same thing. You know, there's a field of information in this room, and, you, 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 and they go, oh, yeah, Wi-Fi, right. computers, yeah, I know all about that, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and, that's and how go, I... That's how I feel about interdimensional beings. It's like, well, most of the world is, you know, there's billions of people are Christian. They believe, you know, angels are interdimensional beings. Why is it such a far-fetched concept to think yeah, that well, there's can, other I, I, I can get into that. Yeah. Uh, the point is, though, the difference between that's crazy, that's ridiculous, and yeah, yeah, computers, Wi-Fi, yeah, is one thing. <laughs> one thing, knowledge. That's all it is. It's knowledge. And if you can keep from the population, my God, we're seeing that with the hysterical uh, censorship now. If you can keep knowledge from the population, especially about the nature of the very reality that they're experiencing and the very eye that they really are beyond that, what we call the human, then you will get vast numbers of people to wave away as ridiculous and impossible and fantasy what is actually happening and what reality actually is. And if you um, take the way, and this is mainstream science, it's not even you know, where I'm coming from alone, um, how we decode reality, because that's what we're doing, we're decoding it. And it's exactly the same as the computer. I call this, I've been calling this since the 1990s, a biological computer. And that's why they're messing with it now, with these, uh, with these fake uh, synthetic genetic fake vaccines. So how does it happen? So what, what do the five senses do? The five senses is that level that interacts and connects us to the simulation, to the matrix. It's like the headset, similar concept. Well, um, the five senses work like this. They take waveform information, think Wi-Fi, and they uh, decode it into electrical information. They communicate it to the brain, and there's different parts of the brain that are specializing in decoding the five senses, each of the five senses. What the brain then does is put that information together. The brain is far more amazing than even we begin to believe or understand. And it puts together that information into a sense of reality, just as the computer takes the information from Wi-Fi and turns it into what you see on the screen. And so take the hearing senses, that's a classic. Uh, the hearing senses take waveform information, sound waves, they turn it into electrical information and they communicate it to the brain. And you, I'm talking now, but words are not passing between us. What's passing between us is a, um, a vibrational waveform field generated by my vocal cords. And the ears pick up that wave uh, field and they communicate it to the brain in electrical form and the brain decodes it into words. You only hear words when the brain's decoded them. 
in, in fact, you know, there are pain uh, relief methods now. I could come across them directly when they've been used on people that I know, whereby the idea is that you uh, break the communication between the point of pain and the brain. So you get a bang on the shin. You don't say ouch until the brain has decoded the electrical signal from the point of impact uh, to the brain. Then you say ouch. And the idea of this pain relief technique is you stop that um, electrical communication and therefore the brain uh, will not decode it. Therefore, you don't feel pain. Um, and, and everything in our reality is information coming in waveform, turned into electrical information by the, the five senses, communicated to the brain that, that forms it into what is actually a digital um, reality, a digital holographic reality. And that's one reason why you talk to physicists. There's one called Max Tegmark, who certainly was at MIT, might still be, uh, who wrote a book um, about our mathematical universe in which he pointed out that you can break down everything into mathematics. Yes. You can break it down to is it into the digital level that I'm talking about. Probably. And um, the... I mean, uh, the physics of a, he points this out, Max Tegmark, the physics of a virtual reality game are exactly, pretty much exactly, the physics of our reality. Why? Because this is a phenomenally advanced virtual reality game. Uh, well, virtual reality, reality. And so um, the idea is that we uh, decode this field of information, which is what it is, the simulation, the matrix, and we experience a reality we think is like everything, all there is to see, when all we're doing is operating and decoding and perceiving a tiny, tiny, ridiculous, laughable band of frequency. According to mainstream science, the um, electromagnetic spectrum, which is pretty much this reality, uh, is 0.005% of what exists in what they call the universe. And visible light, which is the only frequency band that we can see, everything that we see is within visible light, that is a fraction of the 0.005%. So humans are basically blind. So suddenly you start to um, see a lot of mysteries disappearing. Because, um, well, why can't we see this non-human force you talk about? Well, you can't see it because you know what? Humans can see basically damn all because of this narrow band of frequency that we're operating on. And, and then people say, uh, I, I, I saw this UFO just appear out of nowhere and then it disappeared into nowhere. Or this entity appeared at the bottom of the bed and, and then just disappeared into nowhere. And, and from the five cents um, version of reality, you say, that's ridiculous. You're mad what you've been drinking. But actually, it's very simple. Uh, when something enters visible light, this narrow band of frequency, we see it. When it leaves visible light, it disappears to our sight. And so to the observer, it's appeared from nowhere. 
and it's disappeared into nowhere, but it's done neither. It's just left the frequency band that we can see. So, you know, I, I've said, um, if you go into the conspiratorial side of it, uh, which I, I am, want to do um, and tend to do, Me too. Um, I've said many times that we live in a world that actually has two worlds. There's the world of the population, and there's the world of what I call the global cult. And what is the global cult? It's a, uh, a network, a global network of secret societies, semi-secret groups, and you know, ultimately in the realm of the scene, it's governments, government agencies, banking systems, World Health Organization, Silicon Valley, and all that stuff. But the point is that this cult, if you go into the deeper levels of the secret societies, which of course, as we know, are very compartmentalized into what they call degrees, degrees of knowledge, right. you go into the inner core, well, what they're doing is passing through the generations, not just the knowledge of the, um, the agenda for humanity, uh, which is the total uh, centralized global uh, control of every man, woman, and child on the planet. That's the, that's the goal. And we can see it unfolding very clearly now. The other thing that they pass on only to the inner core of the initiates which often operate in families, is the nature of reality itself. Because if you know the nature of reality and you keep it from the population, then you are in a fantastic uh, point of uh, power and dominance because you're manipulating the population in ways they don't even believe is possible. Uh, and so when people like me come along and say, actually, they're doing this, this is how they're manipulating, the people go, oh, don't be too mad, that's crazy, when actually it is, it is actually uh, happening. So if you look at um, the difference between the coal and the population, it's knowledge, again, knowledge. So what they've done, uh, uh, and in America, of course, it was the Rockefeller family and J.D. Rockefeller, et cetera. They've set up what they laughingly, bravely, hilariously call an education system, <laughs> which is designed right. to keep what they know right. from them. They've also created and own in a very few corporations now the global media, which um, keeps from the population what they know. And the one major way that it does that with the media is that while there is an inner core of the media that knows and is well aware of this and, and supports it, the vast majority of what are bravely, again, called journalists are completely bloody ignorant of what's happening in the world, who's controlling the world, and what the nature of reality is. What you also do, not least through funding, um, is you have academia and uh, science, apart from the, the cutting edge uh, of science, uh, which goes into the, the quantum level, the quantum physics level of beyond the physical realm as we perceive it, those, uh, the academia and science is overwhelmingly dominated by people who are also as ignorant as the journalists. And therefore, um, they, all they learn through their education system and through their, 
then uh, uh, training and specialization, is that this world is all there is, and everything is down to genetics and chemicals and all that stuff. When uh, actually that's just uh, a tiny, tiny smear of reality in general, and indeed the reality that we're um, experiencing. So they've, they've stitched up the institutions from which the population get their information. As we saw during the COVID era, they've completely stitched up the medical system. Uh, and therefore, um, what they're all doing, and again, just like the journalists, most of them have not a clue what they're doing. They don't even know there's a cult, never mind they're right. doing its bidding. Uh, but what they're doing collectively is keeping the popular population in ignorance of what this cult knows. And so the reason we're having all this censorship now is because more and more people have realized that they're being lied to. And of course, the level of awareness of the lies is multi-level. It depends where, how deep you want to go in the rabbit hole. But what more and more people have realized is what we've been told all our lives is absolutely not true. And the more people realize that, and the more people want to communicate that, the more people in the population start to also see actually what's going on here. There's another story we've not been told. So the only way you're going to defend the, uh, the cult, the authority narrative, uh, which is laughable and a child's, a child's play to dismantle is to stop uh, the population getting access to that information to the point where eventually, this is where you want to go, where the, the people only see and hear what authorities sanction they can uh, see and hear. But this I, whole area, which so much of the alternative media, much as I laud what it does, has ignored this deep, deep level of the rabbit hole is actually this nature of reality. The understanding of what this reality is, is fundamental to dismantling this control system. And I said just after the turn of the millennium that this was a simulation and uh, that the limit of it, in this, at this level of it anyway, um, was the speed of light. And uh, 20 years later or so, uh, there was an article in uh, April 2021 in uh, Scientific American by an academic who said that he'd concluded that we live in a simulation, think Matrix movies, and that the limit of the simulation is the speed of light. I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> and what, what I've been saying over the years is what we call the laws of physics are actually the rules written and encoded into the simulation. And that's why, you know, you get these near-death experiences, God, there's been unbelievable numbers of them now, who, when they've left the body, when the body has briefly died and then they've come back, they tell a very compelling story, but what were the common themes to it? But one of the things that they say is that basically what I would say, the laws of physics are completely different. 
outside the body, the laws of the physics are completely different, a completely different sense of reality, diff completely different possibilities that, that are so, not possible here, are possible there. Why? You've left this level of the simulation in which those rules are encoded into, um, into the matrix. And so it's, if you look at the Matrix movies, um, you've got your Morpheus characters and your Neos uh, and your Trinities, and they operate outside the Matrix in the, in the movie story. But how do they get into the Matrix? How do they enter the Matrix? Well, they don't go into it with their body. They go into it with their mind. What happens is um, that probe at the back of the neck connects them to the information source of the matrix. And their brain starts to decode that information source and they experience the matrix through their brain mind. Now, imagine this, you, um, you're, you're in the womb and you've got a virtual reality headset on. You come out of the womb, and you have your parents. They've got a headset on. Uh, siblings you may have got headsets on. You go to school. The teacher's got a headset on. All your mates in the class have got a headset on. You go to university. The professor guy's got a headset on. And then you go out into the world of work, and everywhere you go, people have got headsets on. You turn on the news, and there's a bloke with a headset on <laughs> or a woman with a headset on going, hello, good evening, and welcome. This is the news. You go to the doctor. The doctor's got a headset on. You, you, you talk to a scientist. Scientist's got a headset on, and so, it, so, and so on and so forth. And imagine you don't take that headset off in your entire human experience right to the, to the grave. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to believe that the information, the headset is, um, is being delivered to you is reality. And, you know, you've only got to see these pictures, you can see loads of them on the internet, of people in a second, and like an empty room like this, and they put the headset on in a virtual reality <laughs> game, yeah. and they're thrashing around, <laughs> terrified sometimes at what's being fed to them. And what is the headset doing? It's hacking in to the five-sense decoding system through the headset goggles, through the audio, and with the more sophisticated ones, through the touch senses and the gloves. And so um, that's what we're experiencing. Now, in terms of the trap, what, when, I was, when I was writing this and researching this, I thought, well, okay, let's look at this thing of reincarnation. Uh, because, of course, the Eastern religions talk about reincarnation and so on. And I've seen enough um, evidence in many and various forms over the last uh, 33 years nearly that uh, has convinced me that reincarnation is real. That consciousness, what people call soul, consciousness comes into the body, has an experience, and then leaves the body. And then I started asking some questions like, okay, I, you know, I'm. I'm, I, I'm convinced that reincarnation is real, but what the hell is it? And then I look at the world and I think, well, you, 
may have, increasingly less as we move along, but you may have uh, quite a number of people in the Western kind of world that will have a life that they love and like and enjoy and what have you. Okay. But you play humanity out across the world, across Africa, South America, Asia, and so on. And um, it, it ain't a bunch of laughs, really, life. It's a, a, a constant uh, battle to survive and to help your children and your family to survive financially and, and literally. So my thought was, if reincarnation is happening, all right, someone might come in here and get caught and then think, oh, God, I don't want to be here again. But why the hell would they keep coming back? Why would they? Ridiculous. And then I thought, I looked at the Eastern religions and I saw that they were saying that reincarnation is the reincarnation of the soul into this reality to learn lessons, to reach a state of enlightenment where you don't have to keep reincarnating. All right. Well, hold on a minute. Um, <laughs> according to mainstream science, um, compared with the projected size of the universe, planet Earth is the equivalent of a billionth of a pinhead. So I can't get my head around the fact that uh, people have to keep, or souls have to keep reincarnating onto a billionth of a pinhead to keep learning lessons until they reach a state of enlightenment where they don't have to do it anymore. That makes no sense to me. Um, but again, the foundation of it, it was I, I, I'm convinced reincarnation is, is uh, a reality. So what's going on? And what I do in the trap is I explore this uh, scenario uh, in some detail that actually this simulation is multi-leveled. It doesn't just have this level that we call the human world. There are other levels of it that we call the spirit world. And people who believe in that call the spirit world. So what you've got is an infinite reality uh, which is what we are. We're an expression of that infinite reality, consciousness. But this is a, think of it as a bubble. This is an isolated frequency field bubble that operates um, its own system within this um, infinity reality. And that system is seeking, because of what's behind it, I go into uh, to entrap what people call soul within the system. So when you leave at what we call death, you leave the body. You don't die. The body dies. You, you the vehicle dies. And if you're not in a frequency state, a high enough frequency state to get through the bubble, because if you're in a high-frequency state, this bubble is basically a low-frequency state because of the stuff that goes on here and the, the, uh, the force that's behind it, which is in a very low-frequency state, hence the world. But if you're, if you're not in a, a frequency state uh, that uh, high enough to get through it, which you can, just it's like two radio stations, they're just on different wavelengths, they're just never the twain shall meet. 
But if you're not, then you can't leave the, the bubble. And so you go on this cycle, which people call reincarnation. Now, su suddenly reincarnation starts to make sense because you're not actually reincarnating onto a uh, equivalent of a billionth of a pinhead. What you're doing is um, reincarnating from um, non-physical levels, you might say, of the simulation into the physical level of the simulation, and it just goes on and on and on. And of course, it, they talk about you learn lessons to reach a point of enlightenment, but you come into this world and you can have more and more and more very uh, challenging, low vibrational experiences, which don't take you to a state of enlightenment often. It takes you deeper and deeper into the illusion. And uh, one of the things that's happening now, this is one of the reasons for the great technological explosion that's going on, is they want to connect the human brain to artificial intelligence. People like Ray Kurzweil yes. and Google are very open Elon about Musk. It. Yeah, or they're all open about <laughs> it. Yeah. Exactly, uh, because they don't want us to know the real reason for it, which is, as Kurzweil has actually articulated this, but he's, he's done it in a way that, suggest all oh, this is a really good thing because we've passed the point of them hiding it because there comes a point as i said a long long time ago there will come a point where if you're going to transform society it has to be transformed and at that point you're not under the radar anymore you've got to actually be in right. people's faces that's where we are now so instead of hiding it they're now selling it and what kurzweil has said is that by around 2030 a of course, a year that keeps coming up in so many uh, guises, um, that humans will start to be connected to artificial intelligence uh, uh, and the brain to artificial intelligence. And in his words, uh, artificial intelligence, once that connection is made, will do more and more of human thinking until human thinking is basically negligible. So up to this point, they've had to manipulate our access to information in the way that I described with the education system, media, et cetera, to um, manipulate our sense of perception, thus our behavior. Our behavior comes from perception. Uh, but this whole um, AI thing is about our perceptions coming direct. And the idea is that they will be perceptions of reality that hold us in a low-frequency state so we never leave the bloody bubble, which we, of course, can um, if we... Um, if we suss what's going on, and crucially, we realize what the true I is, which is not the labels of a human life, a very brief human life. I mean, I'm 70 now. I'll tell you how brief it is. You know, it's amazing how brief it is when you get to that age. You look at what you've experienced. Not even that much. Um, and, and, but people self-identify with that human uh, and, and, and its labels, when that's not who they are, that's what their consciousness, the true I, is experiencing. And once you go into those levels of self-identity, then that expansion of self-identity creates an expansion of frequency, which allows you to go through the, the bubble frequency barrier, if you like, of the simulation and what this is all about in the end 
is seeking to keep us in a vibrational state through our perceptual state, um, that means that we, we, we never do that. Uh, and uh, so it's, um, it's much deeper than just Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, uh, those levels we absolutely need to know about. But it's much deeper than that. And, and, and if, we, if we fight the enemy, if you like, without uh, realizing what the, the game really is, we can fall into low vibrational states um, uh, in fighting the enemy that actually continue to entrap us. You know, we need to get streetwise to what to, to what the game is, and then we can we can do something to um, bring an end uh, to the game. Do just, they know what the game is? Does the globalist, the cult, know? Like, does Klaus Schwab know, or is he just a is he just a you know an automaton? Well, it like depends. Putin. I just how do these people fit in because they seem so powerful yet they're so obvious. Yeah, um, but it depends. Um, how deep they are in the hierarchy. The inner core absolutely knows. Lots of people uh, coming out of the inner core will know. Um, I suspect that someone like uh, Klaus Schwab will know, Bill Gates will know, right. the Rockefellers will know, the Rothschilds will know that they're, 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 they're operating uh, in, this, uh, in this knowledge. Um, but lots of people like Government gophers and uh, media gophers, Silicon Valley gophers won't have a clue about any of this. Um, but, you know, when Elon Musk says uh, he thinks we live in a simulation, well, he bloody well knows we do. Um, and uh, when you look at Elon Musk, uh, and I would caution people to just wait to see how this goes with Twitter before uh, um, dubbing him a hero. Because this guy, through SpaceX and uh, Tesla and Neuralink, connected right. the human brain to uh, computers, etc., he's ticking every box of this cult agenda. So I'd be very, very wary. And I would say to people this, what does this cult want to do? Whether you think it's a cult or whether you think it's just authority, what does it want to do very clearly? It wants to censor information because that way – Perception is formed uh, on the basis of um, the official narrative, while challenges to the narrative are silenced. That's exactly what's going on. So you had a situation where Google, not just controlled by this cult, but owned by it. Look at the history of Google, where it came from. Uh, Facebook, look at the history of Facebook, where it came from. And, of course, YouTube is owned by, by Google. And then you had Twitter. And all these major social media platforms were completely stitched up in terms of censorship. We're seeing stuff coming out now about Twitter. Um, so the cult owned these organizations, owns these organizations. And um, it, they were censoring on its behalf. So question the situation with Musk. First of all, he ticks all the boxes in what he does of the cult agenda, uh, not least through SpaceX putting low-orbit satellites <laughs> up to power um, 5G, 6G, 7G at every inch of the planet. Tens of thousands of low-orbit satellites he's already been commissioned for. 
fundamental to the, the whole uh, game that's going on. But Twitter was owned by the cult, um, and which owns all these massive investment uh, companies like BlackRock with its $10 trillion <laughs> of investment and Fidelity Investments and yeah. State Street and all these people. Um, so it owns Twitter, and it was censoring on behalf of the cult. So why would they sell Twitter to Elon Musk, claiming wrongly, clearly, to be a free speech absolutist? And not only that, when he apparently pushed back on it, because he said, well, there are too many bots or something, they take him to court to force <laughs> him to buy it. And it was just as that court case was about to happen, if you remember, that he said, okay, I'll buy it. Uh, so why would they do that? It makes no sense. And then he says that he's going to take the bots out with, you know, verification. And so he's about to implement something they probably couldn't do without giving us a hero, which I think about him and like Trump. And it's in your book about they give you these heroes and they they just march you off a cliff spectacularly. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the, I would say to people that if you've researched something and then something happens and from your research, you know what that is, the reason for it, then say it. But if something's in a state of flux, like Twitter at the moment with Musk, don't jump. Don't jump and don't, don't take on that this is what's going on. Let it play out because, you know, the point is that the, the real point of understanding comes not from the words, they're easy. It comes from the outcome. Watch the outcome, not the words. And one possible scenario, uh, Monica, of this is that by apparently giving free speech to some, he's, they've already said, Twitter have already said they won't put me back. And he, oh my gosh. On, he said on Twitter he won't put Alex Jones back. Um, that along come the government regulators, the EU's already talking about it, that say, and they're talking about it in this country, the government, that, oh, this free speech is going too far, it's allowing hate speech, we've got to have more regulation to stop Twitter doing this. Right. So there's many possible scenarios, but obviously the, from you know, what I've explained here and talked about here, it makes no sense that an already cult-owned Twitter would sell to a free speech absolutist, uh, illusory, um, Elon Musk. It makes no sense whatsoever. So there's another story to be told here. Because if it doesn't make sense, well, it usually turns out that actually it doesn't make sense because there's right. another reason for it. He's not helping you escape the trap. But you have been uh, 
victim of censorship across the board. And I was shocked to find that you're literally um, not allowed to enter the Netherlands and other EU countries <laughs> based on something you didn't even do. Like, I think I saw it like the Dutch. So I, I feel like you were set up by the Dutch parliament, like the guy was going off and other people walked out. And I remember seeing that video thinking, this is really bizarre. And the what what's the outcome? Like you say, what's the outcome? And the outcome was you get banned from the Netherlands. Yeah, well, it's an extraordinary story, but it's very, very um, instructive in so many ways and on so many levels. Uh, what happened is that I was invited to um, speak at a peace rally in Dam Square in Amsterdam on November the 6th, I think it was. And I agreed, of course I agreed, to, to go and speak for 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, and that seemed okay. And then suddenly it all kicked off. And funnily enough, it kicked off in exactly the same way that it did in Australia in 2019 when I was banned from Australia, as I still am. So in Australia, um, I was given a visa to go on a six-city uh, speaking tour in February of, um, of 2019. In the September of 2018, I was given the visa. And they couldn't really not give me one because they had no reason to. I'd spoken in, um, on speaking tours in Australia 10 times and there'd never been a, tr a trouble. A, they had no reason. But what happened then is uh, an, an ultra-Zionist organization called the Anti-Defamation Commission, man-and-a-dog operation, started kicking off that I was this, that, and the other, and I was going to do this and do that and say this and say the other, none of which I was going to say because don't believe it. Um, and then the media picked it up, and they start kicking off, and then they put pressure on the, uh, the government. And I'm sitting in Los Angeles with uh, my son, Jamie, uh, and we're about to um, get a flight to Melbourne to start the tour. Uh, it's four hours only before the flight left. And we're sitting in a hotel bar waiting for the, the uh, airport bus. And uh, he gets a long email from the immigration minister of Australia called David Coleman. Uh, and it went on forever. Um, and he said, you're not coming. And he actually says in this, um, in this email, uh, okay, I accept that you've been here 10 times before and there's never been trouble, but you're not coming this time because you could um, attract um, opposition and you might cause disruption in Australian society. Free speech not mentioned, of course. So um, what happened in the Netherlands um, was this ultra-Zionist organization called City, Man and a Dog, starts kicking off that I'm going to have to talk at a speech ra uh, peace rally in uh, Dam Square. And... Um, and, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I believe in this, and I believe that, none of which is true. Uh, and it's all a bloody nonsense, but it doesn't matter what is true. It matters what you can get people to believe. What happened then, just like Australia, is the Dutch media picked it up. My God, did they pick it up. Um, I was everywhere on uh, TV, radio, newspapers, national newspapers. Um, and not once in that period of complete demonization over a period of about two to three weeks, was I invited even once <laughs> to give <laughs> my comment on what was being claimed about me? Not once. 
Then what happens is the government pick it up because it wants to virtue signal. It also doesn't want me to talk about what the, uh, what's going on in the Netherlands and how the uh, Prime Minister Rutter uh, is uh, a, a pawn of the World Economic Forum and which is why he's uh, trying to destroy the livelihoods of 3,000 Dutch yeah. farmers currently because that's the World Economic Forum uh, right. uh, agenda. Uh, and uh, they start virtue signaling and kicking up. And what happens then is, and this is a very important point, this is why we're in the situation we're in. People believe what they're told without question, without asking for evidence. They just believe it. Not everybody, fewer than ever before now, but still a vast number. But you didn't cause any violence, right? You went to the rally? Oh, I didn't go to the rally, no. Oh, no, they, you didn't even get to the rally. I didn't get there, no, I didn't get that oh, far. Man. So um, what happened then is that um, anti-fascists groups started to say, um, we're going to have a, a counter-protest against him. Right. They're uh, going to bring the violence. <laughs> yeah, it's what, I, it's what I call the anti-fascist fascists. Right. And the anti-hate-haters. They're right. hilarious because they don't realize, or the inner core will, but the most of the rank and file won't realize they are everything they're railing against. Right. So, um, so they were going to do a counter rally. And then, of course, because I'm challenging the whole nonsensical scientific baloney of human caused climate change, um, the Extinction Rebellion were going to have a counter protest as well. <laughs> you know, I, I was waiting for the transgender people to have a counter protest. Mm-hmm. I was quite disappointed. But anyway, um, what happened is um, they started kicking off and said they were going to do this and they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so what the government did is they said, we've talked to the police. <laughs> and because of, <laughs> of the, um, the, the reaction uh, uh, against you in the Netherlands by these counter protests, uh, there could be violence. And so we're stopping you. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, you, you know, the, the furore, yeah? Yes. You created it. Right. Not me. I'm sitting on the Isle of Wight off the south coast of England, minding my own business. I've I've done any of that. The the government did it. The media did it. And the city organization did it. And uh, and the anti-fascist fascists, the anti-hiatus and Extinction Rebellion, they caused it. And and so they said, uh, we're stopping you coming. But this is the punchline when, again, it was like it was like L.A. Airport Hotel Revisited was sitting um, in, a, in a hotel uh, uh, on the Kent coast, uh, on the east coast of uh, England, because the next day I'm going through the uh, Channel Tunnel to right. the Netherlands. And along comes a long email, a long email again, from the Immigration Department of the Netherlands, unsigned. I mean, your first, <laughs> right. your first feeling is uh this has got to be a hoax uh but it turns out one it was true the basics of rights in a free society is to be able to answer your face your accuser yeah and what uh what they said was not only are you banned from the netherlands but you because the netherlands is in something called the schengen um information group which is a basically a border agreement if one schengen country and there's like 26 of them um, ban someone, then all the others ban you. It should be so, the opposite. It should be yeah. anyone has the right to veto that. Yeah, so I'm banned from 26 European That's countries. That's insane. Goes, for nothing, your problem. right to work and travel has been suspended for exactly. nothing you did or even said. No, 
and and you know there's people that have been guilty of violence and what have you and uh, and have, have, have been convicted of violence that have been allowed into the Netherlands um, but uh, not me I, I I think if I'd have gone on a rubber dinghy uh, I'd probably be <laughs> a greater chance of getting in but um, and I get a nice hotel probably but the point right. point the point is that this Schengen information system uh, border control um, is recognized by countries like uh, the United States and uh, Canada and so on and so forth and other European countries that are outside the Schengen group and Scandinavian countries, not even in the EU, uh, as a criteria for whether they let someone in or not. So I'm basically banned from a, a vast number of countries. And all I did was accept an invitation to speak at a peace rally in Amsterdam. So on Friday, um, we're going to ch challenge the government in a Dutch court. And the Dutch government uh, are uh, so terrified of me, for some reason, that um, they won't even let me in the country to appear in court to challenge the government and defend myself against them. And so the lawyers representing me in the Netherlands um, asked uh, the judge directly that... Um, I should be allowed in to appear personally. And he turned it down as well. And this is the thing, you see. It's a sign of the times, very much a sign of the times, that the judge doing that was not in any way, shape or form a surprise. That The judge in a court case representing the legal system, if not the lawful system, the legal right. system, um, would... Um, support a decision made by a government. That's how it works. The judiciary is stitched up just like right. that. Uh, and so um, I'm going I'm to have to um, represent myself with my lawyers on Friday. Um, Remotely. Skype from here. That's crazy. Well, I feel like the Trump, I was surprised to see you put Trump in that category, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in the book that for me, January 6th was uh, it's being used to connect Trump and his words with an insurrection, which I don't even think happened at all, like zero. I think it was completely made up. But he, um, you know, that what they're doing to you there, they're using this incident to bring that to us where words equals violence. But free speech by its nature needs to be protected because it is disruptive. It is a threat to authority. It wouldn't need protection if it weren't a threat. So, you know, only speech that is that supports the status quo or the cult is permitted now. And we accept that. And I wonder, like, why do you think people accept this in such great numbers? I know a lot of people are waking up, but a lot of people aren't. Well, you know, there's a hell of a lot of programming going. Uh, perceptual programming. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I, I was born in 1952. And when I went through the uh, education system, of course, they were trying to steer you in, the direct, in certain directions. But the programming was a fraction of what you see now. Um, from cradle to grave, the, the programming, the perceptual programming is intense and merciless. And I, I saw a, an, an interview the other day on the Carlson show, um, and it was about a, a girl, a daughter, who was, got on very well with her parents and um, was a very open-minded kind of individual. 
And her parents uh, got her a lot of money um, to a college uh, university uh, in um, Massachusetts, I think it was. And when she started coming home, she was a completely different girl. And she fell out with her parents and she had the whole woke mentality. Everyone was the bloody enemy if you didn't believe in that, the same as the, she did. And so what her mother did was spend a lot of money, I think it was about $300 a day, to get a deprogrammer to deprogram her from um, what had been programmed into her in this university. And by this time, the, you know, I mean, the, when she came back, there were great rifts with the, with the parents. It was all, all an absolute mess. Who is this girl coming back? It's not the one left. And uh, Carlson talked to one. Um, Talk to the, the girl, the woman now, oh. uh, who was saying, yeah, uh, I went to this uh, university and it was incessant perceptual yeah. programming. So you, you, you look at the, the climate change activists and the, the transgender activists and the activist activists. And, <laughs> and, and, and the vax they, activists. Yeah, vax activists. They, they have no comprehension in terms of evidence, knowledge, um, of what they're talking about. They're just repeating the, the party line, the official narrative. Uh, right. But they can't defend the official narrative in a debate. And this is, this is another reason, Monica, why we've got all this censorship, is that the, the official cult in the end narratives are so unsupportable by the evidence and reality that the only way you're going to defend them is to stop them being exposed, stop them being debated, and stop in alternative um, information circulating. That's why it's being done. And, and that's an, another point, I would say, that connects that to the Dutch government. Uh, and that is, where does the power really lie? We, we, one of the, the great programmed myths is that authority has power. It doesn't. Uh, the authority's power comes from the power handed over to authority by the acquiescence of the population. So uh, you've got the Dutch government that uh, controls what goes on with the Dutch royal family, don't start me, um, <laughs> in the Netherlands. Um, you, you've got the media pushing exactly the same uh, narrative. Uh, you've got the schools and education system pushing the same narrative. The corporations pushing the same narrative. And yet, despite all that, they've got to go to these insane kindergarten levels of extreme in terms of me who just wanted to come and speak for 20 minutes, half an hour at a peace rally. So if they were all powerful, right. they wouldn't have a problem with me. They are, let's speak. We are all powerful. But they know they're not because their power comes from uh, the acquiescence of the people. And to get the continued acquiescence, they have to have continued perceptual control of the population. If you take the COVID situation, um, you only get uh, millions, billions of people to go under uh, house arrest, lockdown, and to shut their businesses and, and, um, and everything. If you can 
control the perception of the population to the point of two things. One, uh, you uh, get one massive group to believe what you're telling them, that there's a deadly virus and the only way to protect you and your family from it is to do what they tell you. And there's the other group um, that doesn't want to do it, but is too frightened of doing it. So you've got to convince one group because they're just unquestioning, nodding dogs. And you've got to uh, control the other group to do what you want by convincing them that there are consequences for them if they right. don't do what they're told. So you take those two groups, and that's the reason um, all through human history, uh, the few have controlled the many. They're the two groups that have done it, always. And the group that has ended every tyranny in history, and it will have to end this one because there's no one else, are the renegade minds, the truly renegade minds, who see what's going on and won't cooperate with it. Um, and uh, that's always been the case, and it will always be the case. Uh, and what we've got to do uh, is to get more people, there are more and more people anyway, but more people out of this second group, I don't right. want to do it, but I'm terrified of the consequences of not doing it, into the renegade group. Um, so they've reached um, critical mass. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't have to be a majority. Like in history, that that group that can overturn that controlling cabal is not, is, what do they call it, an irate minority. But speaking of history, I was hoping before we wrap, because that that is, that, that's what I think is the punchline. It's that people have to get out of that mindset, have some courage. And I don't know if before I, conclude but uh, do you think that people just need courage to get out of that mindset what how do, do people need to just not fear death like what what would be uh, one thing that we could do to kind of get people we know who are in that second group to cross over well there's a number of things uh, i mean once you start once you start to reevaluate the true nature of the eye and you stop um, self-identifying with the labels of a human life because that's they're just race and religion and income bracket and sexuality, etc. These are not who you are. These are what you're experiencing. Um, and if you can reevaluate the eye that you are eternal consciousness on an infinite uh, journey of experiencing and exploring forever, forever, and all the infinite realities, possibilities, etc. then what happens to you in one single human life, uh, which is not that much, as I say, uh, takes on a completely different perspective. You know, it's very different, or difficult rather, to frighten someone into compliance when they know that this is just a brief experience in their forever uh, exploration of forever. Very difficult. If you can get people to identify the I with three score years and 10 uh, in biblical terms and um, the labels of a human life, and, and you can pull them into the realm only of the five senses, then you see authority and consequences in a very different uh, way. And uh, so when you kind of start to reevaluate your self-identity and expand your self-identity, Many, many things change that, and all of them are positive. First of all, as you expand your uh, consciousness, you're going deeper and deeper and deeper into the field of consciousness, and you are able to uh, 
uh, glean, tap into insight, knowledge, intuitive knowing that's not available to the five senses, where, which is only saying, can I see it, touch it, taste it, hear it? Well, it exists then. But there's a, another point in terms of moving this group to this group, and we're entering it now. And that is when you think you have something to lose, you will uh, overwhelmingly, you will acquiesce and obey in the hope that you can protect what you uh, don't want to lose. Once you move into a situation where you have nothing left to lose, then people's uh, responses dramatically change. If you look into China now, that, yeah, the it's population, Eastern, yeah. population of China has nothing left to lose. I mean, something like 400 million under house arrest locked <laughs> into their homes. What is there to lose uh, in standing up to this and refusing to cooperate anymore? Right, you're already in prison. You're all, yeah, I mean, okay, they'll put me in jail. You're already in jail. Absolutely right. Um, and so in the, the West as, uh, and the Chinese um, system, as I've said many times, is, uh, has been incubated and developed by this cult. I mean, Mao was a cult revolution. Um, so that it could, once, once incubated and perfected, not least through the use of technology and AI, could be played out across the world, which is exactly what, of course, has happened since the COVID card was played out of uh, China. Um, and when you look at what's happening in the West now with uh, the uh, dismantling of the Western economy and the dismantling of Western society, which is why what's happening is happening, is why the southern border of the United States is wide open. Um, it's why um, they're using human cause uh, climate change nonsense to justify uh, the deletion of fossil fuels, thus not only uh, raising prices massively, but also um, trying to kid us that wind power and solar power can replace fossil fuels. It's insanity. And they know it's insanity, right. by the way. It's just a game to dismantle the economy. Um, and then you've got the Ukraine-manipulated conflict, um, which is also pushing energy prices up. You push energy prices up, you push the price of everything up. And interfering with food. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that. They're, <laughs> they're, they're targeting uh, food now. You've got Bill Gates, the biggest uh, owner of farmland in America. <laughs> uh, you've got Rutter, the WEF uh, clone in the Netherlands, targeting 3,000 Dutch farmers and and, and the, the Netherlands, in terms of value, is the second biggest exporter of food in the world. That's right? why they hate you there. Yeah. And, and, and now you've got Germany, just announced this week, are going down the same road. Um, uh, you, you're targeting the food supply chain. And, of course, what has happened? Because China is the blueprint for the world, it is. I know. I've been saying for decades, if, if you want to see what's planned for the West tomorrow, you look at China today. And it's fascist. Exactly what's, what, what's happening. And, of course, if you, if you look at the sequence, um, Western corporations, not least American corporations, not least Silicon Valley, have been outsourcing production of basic materials, basic things, 
to China for um, a long time now. And what they've actually given is control to China of so much of the, the global supply chain. Not only that, the, um, the use of um, human-caused global warming and that nonsense has um, justified uh, in their policies the uh, movement from fossil fuels to um, solar power and wind power and where does the vast majority of solar panels come from? Where do the vast majority of no. wind turbines come from? China. So you're given, con giving control no. to China of energy supply. Now, all this is coming together, the food prices, the energy prices, therefore the price of everything, uh, to the point where more and more people are in a situation where they've got nothing left to lose. And that's a very dangerous time for um, this cult because, and it will know that, because of the mind change that happens when you think, well, if I go for it and challenge this, etc., cetera, uh, what's the worst that can happen compared with where I am anyway? Uh, and so we're entering that period now. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how it will impact on large numbers of people in terms of their mentality and what they will do but we'll see if it impacts on sufficient numbers. But yeah. we are entering a period now where um, people are in a position of nothing left to lose, and that's a dangerous time for this, um, for this cult. I think this is another example of your prescience and foreshadowing. And I think if we talk again in five years, we'll have seen it all unfold according to some of your insights. And I, I know we're going over, but I just wondered if you could give us a minute or two on a preview of Albion Heart of the World. I'm so fascinated by that subject. And I just wondered if you could just give us a little, um, you know, topic sentence. Yeah, um it's uh, being broadcast by uh, Iconic, uh, the media platform, alternative media platform uh, that my son Jamie started about three years ago now. Um, and what Iconic does is it does news shows virtually every weekday now um, about what's happening in the world and the conspiracy and what have you. But it, there's also um, a, a great body of things that are constantly being added to that are about the great totality of alternative ways of looking at the world. I've done a, a, a series called The Nature of Reality, which is all about what reality is. In fact, we've done some special effects in that to, uh, to simulate it. Connecting uh, the dots is great. Yeah, dot connector. I, I, yeah, I do the dot connector on a, every, every yeah. Saturday, um, uh, going through the week's news and pointing out why it's really happened as opposed to why we're being told it's happened. Right. Um, but um, th th there's a whole other area of uh, spirituality, etc., and um, the deeper um, the the deeper levels um, beyond just the conspiracy, although that's massively included. <laughs> well right. And so, um, I uh, we've done this film. Well, it's actually two films. One's going out on uh, uh, Christmas Eve. The other one's going out on New Year's Eve, and it's called Albion Heart of the World. The first one's called Realm of the Gods. And the second one's called Awakening the Giant. And Albion nice. is the oldest known name for the British Isles. And the question uh, 
that needs to be asked is why the British Isles, which you can hardly see on the globe. I mean, you get a globe. I mean, you know, America, there it is. Africa, there it is, all that stuff. Oh, where's Britain? And yet Britain has had such a massive central impact uh, over the centuries uh, on and, and early, earlier on human society, global human society. And then there's the question, why? Uh, I'm not talking about the, uh, the British government, it's just another gopher operation. But why is um, so much of the inner core of this global cult uh, located in Britain, yeah. places like London, etc. Why? Um, why has it always been a place, if you go way back into history, that um, other areas of the world are focused upon? And it's to do with what Britain is, Albion is, and that's not just on the level that you can see it's what Britain is on levels you can't see, energetic levels. And so in the two films, um, we explore um, what those other levels are and why they have made Britain such um, an enormous influence on the world when it's such a tiny group of islands. And... Another question, why are there more standing stones, standing stone circles, ancient earthworks, ancient hill forts per square mile in Britain than anywhere else in the world? Why is that? And uh, so it's, uh, uh, it's a, a, a fascinating subject, which has so many different levels that are very relevant to the conspiracy, but also very relevant to the whole nature of reality. And I think people are going to find them fascinating. I've always been baffled by that question. Like, how is this tiny island still probably underneath like the puppet master of the world? Totally fascinated. I'm taking the whole week between Christmas and New Year's off. So like, that's going to be my treat. The, the, the city of London financial district, what they call the square. Mile, oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's what it's what well, basically it's the financial center of the world beyond Wall Street. In terms it has of its own laws, like the Vatican. Exactly, exactly, it does. <laughs> why? Why does the city of London have its own laws and its own police force, uh, just like the Vatican does? And be, because that's how they operate. They they um, ha say you you we're going to make the laws which you're going to follow, but we're going to have our own. Right. Fence them off. Um, well, I'm super excited yeah. for that. And I mean, obviously, I could listen to you forever and your uh, iconic.com actually probably could have the opportunity to listen to so much material. And it's really a lot of value. But is there anything else or people that you want to direct people right now to explore some of the things we've talked about? The trap is a uh, is a lot of bang for the buck. It really delivers on what it, it offers and iconic.com and anything else. Well, no, I mean, that my, my main website that, um, where news stories are posted every day in, in the context of what they mean rather than what we're told they mean is uh, davidike.com. That's where all my videos are. Uh, well, there's lots of my videos on Iconic as well that are, that are, are, are different uh, to the ones on davidike.com. But the, 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 uh, the videos that I do every week all the time and interviews like this interview, for instance, will be on davidike.com. 
Um, so that's and, the place yeah. to start, davidike.com. Yeah. And all your books there, you have like 20 books, something like that? Well, it's about uh, nearer 30 now. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know, I'm, so I'm going to start another one soon because the thing is that, um, you, you know, if you, it's, it's like Socrates is supposed to have said in ancient Greece, wisdom is knowing how little we know. I mean, once you realize that, and when you think that we're operating in a tiny band of frequency and infinity lies beyond it, the idea that we know all there is to know or all we need to know is ridiculous. Um, and, and so what, when you operate on that perspective, wisdom is knowing how little we know, your mind is always open to other possibilities. And this is the thing. One thing above all else that you can say is true without any fear of contradiction is that whatever we think we know at whatever point, there's always more to know than we think we know. And so your mind is always open. It's always exploring. Okay, got this far. Now, where, where else do I need to go to get a greater understanding of where this is coming from? And, um, and, and what that means is that you don't go into the eddy of just going round and round, recycling stuff you've already, already uh, done. You, you, go, you keep pushing the envelope, uh, pushing the cutting edge, because the cutting edge, if it's not moving, then there's a problem because the cutting edge is only what we think we know. There's always more to know beyond that. So let's go and find it. And that means more books come up all the time. So I would say in the context of deep dives, as deep as you dive, you can always dive deeper. Oh, yes. And I cannot wait to continue to explore this journey. I don't know if I'll ever get my mind around kind of the ultimate message of uh, you know, higher dimensions, but I feel like that it gives me a lot to work on. Like it gives me a lot of, it's an, uh, doors are constantly opening when I read your stuff and watch your stuff. And I'm super excited for my Christmas treat, the Albion heart of the world. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been a real, a real privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. It's been a real pleasure for me too. Bye. Uh, goodbye to the great David Ike. You have been listening to Deep Dives with Monica Perez. 